Hello and welcome to the AdNug podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is a recording from our July 2022 meeting, Microsoft Build After Party with Lana Vishnevetska. And now over to the presentation. Hello, hello everyone. As David mentioned, uh, I'm joining online from Sydney and uh, we have these three days of Microsoft MCAPS events running. So we're very, very busy. Uh, yeah, but I'm happy to talk to you uh, tonight. And the focus will be on the past uh, Microsoft Build event and uh, what's our top five picks from there. So yes, David, shall we start? Yeah, okay. sounds good. Yeah. yeah, I'll probably just mention if if anybody has got a question in the the group here, um, grab my attention. I've got a, a separate microphone that we can use for that. Um, I was trying to juggle having the the room mic as well as a lapel mic, and it just was gave a lot of feedback, which didn't sound so good. So uh, just to let you know that if you have got a question as we go through this evening. Okay. Yeah. Let's go, Lana. Right, so the first topic we will be discussing, it's a low-code, no-code approach, and uh, if it's definitely a game-changer for the small and medium businesses. Yeah, so, so Lana, why, what, what's the, what's the, the point of this? What, why is it important? Yeah, so with the COVID and uh, with the supply chain struggle and uh, with um, all of these troubles we're experiencing with the war in Europe, um, medium a majority of small and medium businesses experience, experiencing staff shortage, especially in IT, but also have high demands for digital transformations. So to automate daily operations or to get closer to the client and change change business direction quickly. With the scarcity of IT resources uh, these days on the market, and please be mindful, they're very expensive. These businesses can learn how to build web applications for browser, iOS and Android, for example, drag and drop controls to the visual designer and uh, integrate with the power apps. So with all this, in most cases, IT teams in medium and enterprise level businesses overloaded, delivering a number of asks and projects coming from their business divisions uh, when they company when they, when these companies are growing. And uh, if you can see what these projects are, you will find half of these projects internal to the company where business departments act as a client for IT department. So why we cannot give business people a powerful tool where they can build their own application to serve daily market tasks, for example, internal ledger or get a review from Google, etc. With all of this in mind, Azure provides such services where security is already embedded, but users do not have do not need to have a knowledge of any particular programming language or framework, and these tools are safe to use for unexperienced users. Moreover, you don't need to manage repositories or deployment pipelines and do release governance for such projects. And see how much time your IT team can have back concentrating on strategic projects and deliveries. That's why I think it's became more and more important in the current situation. 
So, so Lana, what what tools specifically are we talking about? Is it is it just power power apps, or is it more specific things than that? Power apps definitely number one. It's a number one player in a low code, no code tools in Azure with our Azure table storage. But we also have Azure Logic apps. Uh, and these Azure Logic apps has plenty of built-in connectors. And you pretty much can connect any service in Azure and uh, outside all major cloud providers, uh, Google and everything. So these two major tools. Um, yep. I'm I'm curious. Has anyone here made use of Power Apps already? Oh, I see one hand. Like technically Logic Apps, but Power Automate, which is basically the same thing. Okay, so Power Power Automate. Yeah, yeah. Have other people looked at it and sort of dismissed it, or haven't looked at it and don't really know? Looked at it, still working on it. Okay, thanks, Dave. Cool. Yeah. Just wanted to know what was an experience, and uh, if you have any feedback, please provide. Uh, we have Microsoft feedback page where you can basically come and uh, leave a message for product group. Nice. All right. Uh, next, moving on. I think I've got to do something for this one. Uh, yep, yeah. a GitHub Copilot, AI pair programmer, and uh, when it might be available for the public and for the general availability. Yeah, all right, I will play the video. This short video from the Microsoft build give us a highlight what is this GitHub Copilot and uh, actually what's inside. Oh, it's great. Oh. And include the sound might even be better. Oh, a Git of Copilot. Let's see an example of what is uh, the future of coding. So instead of doing a simple autocomplete, you can now just write the headline of the function and GitHub will autocomplete the function itself. So how does it work? Basically, um, GitHub uh, goes online and take um, the code that you just started to, to write, send it um, to um, the GitHub Copilot services, and then start to provide you a suggestion based on the code that you have started to write. And you can just use tab to, to change between a few alternatives. And once you select the, the code that you want, uh, you will actually import the suggestion for the next user. So you're getting the power of the internet in your gaps brand uh, by using uh, GitHub Copilot, and you don't need to do this contact switch anymore because GitHub Copilot go looking for in the internet for you and bring you the result. It works really great on all those code and very basic routines that you want to do uh, in everyday life. Okay, that was the video. Nice and short. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like, 
I haven't used Copilot myself. I'm curious, like, what what languages will it work with? Is it just JavaScript, or does it do anything else? Mm. Currently, it optimized for to for writer in Python, JavaScript, and uh, TypeScript languages, Ruby, Go, C Sharp, or C++. However, can be used to generate suggestions on other languages and variety of the frameworks too. So it's not in the public preview. It's not publicly available. We're still waiting for this to be, to be available sometime soon. I assume not many people had a chance to play with this. And um, because even before Microsoft um, build, uh, it was only by demand. You have to register to get an access. But yeah, it's a great feature which is powered by OpenAI Codex, uh, and this is a new AI system created by OpenAI, open source companies. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I saw some announcements, I think the last couple of weeks, so it sounds like it is uh, starting to, be, to become available. So be, be, I'm, I'm curious, just in the room, has anybody been on the beta program? Has, have they tried it out? No. Um, so uh, how do you get started? Like, is it just in the, the yeah? How do you get started? What what do you what tooling do you use with it? Yeah, absolutely. So download and install, and it's available as an, an as an extension in Visual Studio Code, Visual Studio 2022, and JetBrains Suite for IDEs. So these three tools. I think majority of the developers these days using Visual Studio Code. So it should be relatively easier to start with, just an okay. extension. I must admit, I I didn't really realize it was usable in full Visual Studio or JetBrains for that matter. So yeah, yeah. JetBrains is not widely uh, known tool, and uh, yeah, but yeah. Microsoft declare it's available in JetBrains uh, suite for IDs. Yeah. So uh, is there any um, risks in using this? sort of tooling, like, um, I don't know, are you going to get your competitor's code suddenly appearing in your editor or anything like that? Or? <laughs> there is always risks and security implications, but as a developer, software engineers, you are responsible for the security and quality of your code. Whatever tool is helping you, whatever code is helping you, you still own the full responsibility of this. So you should take the same precaution when using the code generated by Copilot, that would you take for the code you didn't write yourself and take from the open source or, for example, Stake Overflow or any from public internet. Mm. So I recommend to use static code analysis, testing, IP scanning, and tracking for security vulnerabilities. Although GitHub provides you a number of features to help you to monitor and improve your code quality, for example, GitHub Actions. Also, this uh, GitHub Copilot uses filters to block offensive content and avoid producing suggestion in sensitive contexts. And product team, Microsoft product team, is constantly improving the filtering system to more intelligent suggestions generated by GitHub Copilot and exclude biases, discriminatory or abusive output. And if you notice something, please please report and provide your feedback. Cool. So I think you.
I if I heard you correctly, you said that uh, just like we copy code from Stack Overflow, when we use Copilot, we should also review that code. So Absolutely. I, I wonder if people are really honest, how often they would review the code they pasted from Stack Overflow. But I won't ask that question to, to the group, but yeah, it's a bit of a reminder that you don't, don't just blindly copy and paste. Uh, Ryan, I'll hand you the microphone. You just, just talk to it. Uh, a couple of questions, actually. Yeah. Um, the data source, there was an AI in this question came out with my model that's running off. What's the data source being used for it? Is that just Microsoft um, projects that have been scanning over, or is it running like over all of open source stuff ever? Um, on definitely GitHub in the first place and uh, Stack Overflow, which is affiliated somehow with Microsoft and uh, um, open sources, trusted open sources as well. Um, definitely some analysis applied and uh, it will not go to untrusted sources. But GitHub these days, it has so many great projects and so many examples of the code. So I would say in the majority of the cases, it should give you like quality feedback. But as David mentioned, uh, the code written with an AI pair programmer should go through the same life cycle as we do normally. So you should commit and uh, create a pull request and give someone um, for review and then address feedbacks from this review, do static code analysis and etc. So normal life cycle. I guess the next question is, by using it, do you automatically start sending the code you're writing on potentially sensitive projects to Copilot, or is it a one-way only thing when you're using the Copilot extension? Um, sorry, I didn't get that question. Maybe perhaps you rephrase it, or maybe um, just repeat. So the code you're writing, that it's sending off to Copilot to be scanned and uh, basically helping understand your patterns and the architectures and all that that goes into your code base. Um, does that always send all the data off to Copilot, even when you're working on potentially sensitive closed source projects? Or is it a one-way data write, so you're only receiving data from rather than sending your coding to Copilot, that makes sense? Um, if you're asking about backwards compatibility, I don't think what you're writing is going to Copilot because you obviously own uh, your intelligence property, intellectual property on the code. And sometimes you're working inside the boundaries of your organization where the code you wrote is basically a subject and uh, owned by your organization. So if you are not working on the open source project, then the code you wrote remains your uh, basically property, your company property, uh, unless um, you participate in the open source and uh, you cut, like you basically offer these to other and make it like an open code, if I get your question right. That was basically question, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, if I may say in this, um, what I can see where AI Copilot can help, uh, it definitely can help people early in career 
because with the scarcity of resources um, in IT and um, we see uh, companies, the speed of development is increasing and we don't have these luxuries before when someone senior sit with a junior developer and they do coding for hours together. Unfortunately, with the speed, um, when companies increase in speed to the market, that's not offered. Uh, anymore and sometimes you just have like five to ten minutes attention from your senior colleagues but you have to rely on your own knowledge and for people early in career have someone like a co-pilot and uh, working code writing code together and working together will help them to learn and uh, improve the quality of the code so i can see the major uh, benefits for them yeah um uh, Ryan's question actually reminded me a bit also of a different product, which we're not really talking about tonight, but uh, IntelliCode, which is the sort of AI in Visual Studio, which I think that does train on your own code base, but it's it's not leveraging the, the GitHub open source um, corpus of, of code. So they're sort of similar tools, but with, with different approaches. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So um, how much does this cost? Is it a really expensive tool or um, is, well, is it going to accessible to people? Um, it's definitely not coming for free. So it's a paid feature. Oh. You will need monthly or yearly subscription. However, if you verified student or the owner of popular open source projects on the GitHub, you are eligible for the free option. If you meet the criteria for free subscription, you will be automatically notified when you visit visit GitHub Copilot subscription page. And uh, if you do not meet criteria, you will be offered a 60 days free trial, and then you can move uh, to the paid subscription. But again, Microsoft aiming uh, to change the world, but not report people and uh, all our features, they actually quite accessible. Um, yeah, so it shouldn't be like too much. Hmm. Cool. All right. Any, any other questions around GitHub Copilot? Yes, Ryan's got another one. Okay. Um, so will it be available separately from GitHub, say for those of us who are using Azure DevOps as our repository systems, or will it only be to GitHub Enterprise type subscriptions? Um, regardless, um, regardless if you're using Azure DevOps or not, uh, if you basically using Visual Studio Code, it should be available for you. It doesn't have a link to Azure DevOps, but definitely link to to GitHub. Cool. All right. Okay, what's next? So the next topic we want to discuss today is a live preview in Visual Studio with a .NET MAUI. And now is my turn to play the video. Okay. Uh, let me do my best and share my screen. .NET MAUI lets me build native apps for multiple devices, Is it okay? iOS, Mac OS, Android, and Windows, with the same project and code base. Instead of learning different stacks and languages for each device, you can use one language, one set of libraries, and one UI stack for all of them. 
So this dev box is already configured with all the device emulators and developer settings I need to get coding immediately. Here you can see the platform-specific folders. .NET MAUI, under the hood, uses technologies out there today for building native apps on Windows with WinUI, Mac Catalyst for Mac OS, and of course, iOS and Android. .NET MAUI abstracts all of those frameworks into a single framework built on .NET 6. Here are the resources like the fonts, images, and styles that are shared across devices all in one place. And I've got all the shared UI for this podcast app in a folder right here. If we look at our project file, you'll see that all the target frameworks are right up here and all the metadata of my app. Here, we also have a place to define our app icon, splash screen, images, and fonts from my resources folder. Now let's debug the Android app. Since I'm on a Windows 11 machine, I can use Windows subsystem for Android. With .NET MAUI, I also have access to APIs directly from c -sharp to over 60 device platform features, including things like isolated storage, sensors, geolocation, camera, and more. Now that I have my Android app up and running, let's make some UI changes. I have the live preview window right here, which lets me see the running UI right in Visual Studio. I'll bring up the new code search and look for the discover page. Notice there's no latency here as I type. I can quickly make a change here and use Hot Reload to immediately see it on the UI. Hot Reload works on my c -sharp code as well. I'll also mention that with the release of .NET MAUI, you can now add native capabilities to your Blazor web apps. This means you can create hybrid web apps, which combine web and native UI together in a single client application. You can also share Blazor web components in .NET MAUI apps. The podcast app uses a Blazor component for our Listen Together feature. The .NET MAUI development tools remain in preview, but will release soon. You can install the .NET MAUI workload from the Visual Studio 2022 preview channel. Yep. That cool. was good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, just a, a side comment. I've, I've just started using Windows 11 this week. Um, and I've been using WSL for a while, but that, that video mentioned the Windows subsystem for Android. I, I'm again. I'm asking anyone use that um, subsystem yet? The, the Windows 11 users? No. I, I, I'm conflicted now because I've got an iPhone. I don't have Android. So uh, anyway. Um, so how, how does this work? I mean, um, is it just using that subsystem, or is it really? Do you need to have a device, or um, mm. how's it all? How's it all work? Yeah, uh, great question. It's possible with a XAML hot reload, uh, which been mentioned as a Visual uh, Studio feature. So XAML in particular, it stands for the Extensible Application Markup Language, which is XML-based language uh, that uh, that's an alternative to programming code for uh, instantiating and uh, in initialization objects and uh, organizing these objects in a parent-child hierarchy. So basically, this uh, .NET MAUI and XAML uh, allows developer uh, to define user interfaces using markup language rather than code. Um, and uh, although XAML is not required for .NET uh, MAUI applications, but it is recommended approach to developing your UI because it has a tooling support. And uh, I personally found this fascinating because I remember my days um, 
early days when I have to change HTML and then compile and build everything and then run this application. And if I make a mistake and already deploy this to UAT on another environment, and uh, then I have to do all these steps again, change something, test locally, then deploy again. With this live preview feature, I would consider something which will give me immediate visibility, how my page look like and uh, what my customers will see. And I can make changes in seconds and they will, will be reflected. Just want to mention the example also well suited for uh, model view, uh, view model MVVM pattern where XAML defines the view that is linked to view model code through XAML based data binding. So XAML, I mean, I've done a bit of XAML before with uh, WPF. Uh, there might be some people here that admit they used XAML with Silverlight and they've got the scars to to prove it. Um, so this is XAML, but it's, a, it's um, as I understand it, it sort of comes from uh, Xamarin Forms, I think, is that the XAML with, with .NET Maui, is that right? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it will be well aligned with your suggested topic for August. Uh, um, you mentioned uh, .NET MAUI, yeah. and uh, I think it will be extremely good opportunity to get some subject matter experts who will be talking to us from the inside and uh, um, showing us how it's basically works and implemented and uh, where it came from and what to expect from this. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So yeah, that I mean the the hot reload or the the live editing is is pretty cool. I mean, what is it? What tools do we need to use to be able to take advantage of that? Um, Visual Studio. Um, it's currently it's available only in the Visual Studio 2022. But because it's a limited, uh, it's only in the private preview and not publicly available. I expect um, the other tools are coming as well. Ah, okay. Yeah, and uh, I have like a small picture if you'd like me to share. And uh, this small picture actually showing um, the, this um, XAML architecture, let's say. Okay. So we can have a look briefly. Let me share my screen again. And uh, we talk a little bit. It's not a perfect quality because I put these just in the paint, but it should give us um, quite a good overview. So who, who's done XAML development of one kind or another over the years? Who's still doing XAML now? Mm. So hands. if you can see my picture here, so there are layers, application code and then .NET MAUI. And behind this, we have .NET for Android and .NET for iOS and for Mac and uh, WinUI. And then .NET 6 behind, and then we have a couple of runtimes. And again, Android uh, operating system, so it's like this. And um, in .NET MAUI app, you write code that primarily interact with a .NET MAUI app, which is number one here. And uh, then .NET MAUI then directly consumes the native platform APIs, which is, for example, number three, .NET for Android. And uh, in addition, application code may directly exercise platform APIs, 
which is number two if required. So yeah, um, I'm not a .NET MAUI or XAML expert. It will be uh, nice to get someone to to know and learn. I'm yeah. always curious to reach engineering team where I could and uh, uh, get a little bit more deeper than Microsoft um, just public documentation. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I'll be interested in that. So, looking forward to that. Yeah, next couple of months, hopefully we can dive in a bit deeper. Oh, right. all right. What's what's next? Next, um, Microsoft DevBox, and how we can spin up new machine in a few minutes. That's okay. also yeah. a very cool topic discussed on Microsoft Build. Actually, so and, yep. I've got my I've got my laptop here, Lana. I mean, isn't that enough? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely enough. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 So what? I mean, yeah. I've got my laptop here. I've got my software set up. I mean, what else do I need? What what's is DevBox? What's that going to do for me? Um, you need internet connection. Yeah. So. What is DevBox and why? Hmm. As I've been, as I mentioned before, and that's I think the hottest topic these days. Supply chain is suffering from all of these COVID and war in Europe and everything. And sometimes, for team like focus for the company, it is a challenge to get powerful development development machine for your growing development team. And uh, with the COVID and hybrid style of work, more and more companies are managing global teams now. And there is also a very important point here, development velocity. So you probably all noticed the speed of life is getting faster. And uh, I feel the same with the development life cycle. It's getting faster and faster and company aiming to the market quickly. So the goal is go to the market quickly. So, but really companies with a higher development velocity, they have four times higher revenue than counterparts. So not all our developers are sitting in on the cutting edge of technologies and have all appropriate instruments available due to the licensing and cost of these, which might go to the inefficiency of development, which is still the biggest challenge when it comes to the local hardware or fragile development environment. So Microsoft introduced DevBox, a new cloud service that provides developers with a secure, ready-to-code developer workstation for hybrid teams of any size. So to answer your question, David, yeah, you need only your laptop and internet connection. It allows developer to focus on the code only they can write, making easy for them to access tools and resources they need without worrying about workstations, configuration and maintenance. So it's pre-configured in the cloud for specific projects and tasks, ensure unified management security and compliance with Intune and Microsoft Endpoint Manager. These dev boxes are hosted in Azure. And you can access them from anywhere, from Windows, from Mac OS, Android, iOS, and from your web browser. So this actually sounds 
were actually relevant to me because I, I work as a consultant now and I've had it a couple of times where uh, the clients we're working with will send us a laptop uh, that's been configured for us to work with them. Um, and uh, one time that got sent through a courier. The other time I had to go and visit their head office here in, in Adelaide, which mm -hmm. wasn't anywhere near where I lived. So it was like a day trip to, to go and pick up a laptop, have to sign into it, take it home and hope that it would still work when I got home uh, because it was away from their network. Uh, and then you had all this challenge of installing the, the tools and, and licenses and, and keeping it up to date. Um, and that, yeah, that's an ongoing challenge, sort of fighting VPNs and proxy servers and and all that kind of fun. So that it sounds like this this might be a a better solution for that. That we don't have to have these laptops sent out, and you you never know if the laptop's going to be a good one or a really rubbish one that they send out to the the contracting people. So yeah, uh, that's right. But these dev books, they guaranteed performance, uh, pre-installed tools, configuration. When I was back in software engineering, like I spent, a, I might spend a day configuring my development machine, set up in all of these, um, like Visual Studio these days and all of these databases and everything spin up. And uh, yeah, it was a hustle actually. But um, we'll see how it will be with the Microsoft uh, dev books. Yeah. No, I mean. As much as I love chocolatey and, and box data, it, to, to have a machine already ready to go and not have to spend that day or two or ongoing maintenance uh, yeah. would be great. I see a question from Ryan. Uh, with the dev boxes, are they going to be able to work with basically closed network platforms? So in David's example, a company that has a laptop that presumably VPNs into their network, is a dev box going to be able to connect through a VPN or some sort of tunnel to a closed network? Um, got it. If you need to integrate this uh, in your corporate network, um, that might be considered, but uh, actually it's cloud native. Um, so you, because it's an Azure service, it fits very well when you're developing cloud native applications. Uh, although these Microsoft box can be controlled by Microsoft Intune and a Microsoft Endpoint Manager, which means if your company managing your devices via Intune, yes, it could be integrated in your corporate um, uh, network if needed. Yeah. Go ahead, David. Oh, so they are they are they VMs that stay around, or are they do they like it when you stop using it for the day? Does it disappear and then you get a new one the next day, or how, how does that part of it work? DevBox is a dedicated VM for sure, okay. and right. uh, you can use this uh, um, during your project. It's an ideal use case when you start a new project, you configure your DevBox for this project, and while you're working on this project, you have this Microsoft DevBox. When you don't need this, you basically like discard this, but yes, yep. it will stay with you. Okay, yeah, so you can have your, your setup, log out for the day, and log in the next day, and everything's just as you left it. So, yeah, that's right. It's for yeah. your project life cycle, and yeah. uh, you can 
access uh, this via development dev portal. Um, just to mention, Microsoft DevBox is now in a private preview and it will be released uh, to the public in the next few months. And currently you can go to Microsoft Docs and uh, submit sign up form uh, for the wait list to evaluate the private preview. So if you want to play with this, uh, please submit your sign up form. Yeah. So you can also have not only uh, one dev box, but you can have dev boxes pool. If you have a team of people who are working on one project, then they all need unified configuration. You can have a pool and these dev boxes pool can be managed from Azure portal. So they'll all have a similar kind of configuration. In That's, the right. Ah, That's right. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested to see, I guess it's still in preview, but be interested to see what the, the pricing for that is when it uh, is announced. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Price, pr pricing always <laughs> number one, but uh, I'm not aware about pricing. All yeah. I know is highly secured, unified, uh, ready to use, ready to code developers workstations. Yeah. But uh, in the Azure, actually, we have a tool which we call cost of ownership calculator. And jumping to this tool, you can compare Apple to Apple, cost of your on-prem hardware and networking vs Azure networking. So yep. if you will uh, compare the cost of this uh, powerful development machine, which you have to physically buy and integrate and manage in your network, and then uh, uh, DevBox, which is dedicated for the project, uh, then you can see the difference. Yeah. Azure will be more cost appealing. Yeah, now that, that would be interesting to see. Yes, like the buying a physical laptop for for three years um, and maintaining that versus just just for a project, um, but also the advantage of having it available instantly versus having to wait for the courier to deliver it or to go out and pick it up. Uh, in fact, one of my colleagues uh, went to pick it up uh, from the head office that was nearest to him and discovered that it was locked in a cupboard and they didn't have the key. So, <laughs> so yeah. it was a, was a wasted trip. So yes. Imagine the situation when you're managing hybrid uh, geolocation team, when part of your team sitting in Melbourne and some in Canberra, some in Sydney, and moreover, part of your team sitting in New Zealand, and you have people in Malaysia, Sri Lanka, and uh, other proximities. Like, can you imagine how you will be delivering all of these hardware for your uh, global hybrid team? Yeah. Well, you've just described the team I'm working with right now. I'm, I'm, my colleagues are interstate, and we've also got a team member who's based in the Philippines. So yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 How did you know that, Lana? That's a bit spooky. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Microsoft so knows everything. Microsoft knows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm also working in a hybrid team. The new team I joined, it's New Zealand and uh, Adelaide and Brisbane and Melbourne and Perth. So, yeah, we hybrid it as well. Yeah. Another question from Mark. I cannot hear the question, so maybe, uh, David, you will um, pass it to me. So yeah, how, how do you set up the, the pool of 
dev boxes? Is there a way to customize them? Um, yeah, I haven't played enough to be able to answer this question. <laughs> Because uh, between Microsoft Build and the SM Cups, we have end of, end of financial year, which was really overwhelming and overloading. And uh, despite how much I want to touch all of these new things, I don't have physical time to do so. So I think Microsoft documentation will give us an answer. All what I know is you can manage and set up them through the Azure portal. So yeah, I encourage you to apply for the private preview and uh, play yourself. Mm. Yes. Okay. Cool. I'll be. Oh yeah, I'll be looking forward to that. So, yeah. Okay. What's What's next on the list, Lana? Um, the last one, very exciting because I love this a lot. It's a Microsoft SQL 2022. New features and better security, and uh, what we can see in the preview. So Microsoft is happy to announce SQL Server 2022 public preview, and you can find it uh, ak.ms uh, slash get SQL Server 2022. So please go and download and play and give us a feedback. Uh, we have major enhancements here data governance, analytics, operational data with the major features. So SQL 22 is now truly hybrid data platform connected to Azure, but directional to Azure SQL. So what uh, what would be the use of that? What what's a good use case for that that kind of thing? Yeah, good question. The perfect use case I see it's a high availability and disaster recovery scenario. When you replicate data to and from the cloud, you can set up online failover SQL Server 2022 on-prem uh, with Azure SQL managed instances, which makes overall data governance and maintenance process much, much easier. Does it answer your question, David? I think so, yeah, yeah. I, I'm reminded we had... Um... Rob Farley speak to the group last month on diving into SQL uh, sort of details and the uh, low level stuff. So I, 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 there was a lot of interest in getting Rob back and it'd be interesting to hear his thoughts on 2022 as well on uh, some of those new features to, to take advantage of those. Yeah, when it comes to new features, uh, I can see Azure uh, Synapse for analytics via Azure Synapse link and also Microsoft Purview connection to get visibility over your entire data. And uh, with the data catalog and data map capabilities, you have centralized policy management for better security. And also innovative data protection capability to bring better security. Uh, Microsoft proudly admits that's the least vulnerable database in the industry with the new features of uh, SQL Server Ledger, uh, where you know the state of your database. It captures metadata about the transaction, such as commit timestamp and uh, the identity of the user who made this change, and also encryption enhancements to support latest version of T um, TLS, and also Linux uh, security enhancements. 
and uh, of course, the major question when it comes to data and SQL Server are performance and uh, availability improvements. These can be achieved with a built-in query intelligence, which adapts to your workload. Uh, this intelligence query processing solves parameter sniffing sensitivity. You, you will remember when you have your store procedures compiled, but when you execute this second time with another parameters, you have like execution plan is different and performance is not that great. So these uh, parameter sniffing and parameter sen uh, sensitivity is no longer the case. And uh, it also supports hints without changing the code. So these are great features from SQL 22. Okay, um, I've used I've used SQL Server on prem. I've used SQL in Azure a bit. Um, you mentioned Azure Synapse. I'm, I've heard of that. Um, honestly, I couldn't tell you what it was other than it's something to do with data. So what, just um, to go back to what is Azure Synapse? Um, yeah, so. You begin with Azure Synapse when you do analytics, data analytics. So it comes um, with a, it's basically a concept uh, when you like apply analytical algorithm, algorithms on your data. It's very important if you are definitely doing some big data or um, for example, if you provide some analytics capability for your end users. So that's a enterprise analytic services and it helps you to accelerate time to uh, get your data across your databases and data warehouses in a big data system. Okay um, and the the SQL ledger that is that sort of like a audit trail kind of thing or is that that's sort of the use case for that? Yeah that's actually um, as you mentioned, it's a trail, it's a separate data uh, database. Uh, and if you think about um, high compliance industries, for example, financial industry, they have lots of regulation and they have lots of com compliance requirements. Or if you think about government data or some defense data or aircraft. So this will give you a better control and security around your data because you know precisely about every transaction and you know about state of your database and your data on every step on every milestone when it's growing so yeah it's a really powerful audit capability for highly okay. regulated industries yeah that being, that's often you end up building it yourself at the moment so that's that, right yeah, that's yeah. right. I spent years and years building these data ledger myself when I basically have another record in another table when something happened into the system. Yeah. For example, authentication or user change identity or anything or some valid, very valuable transactions coming. I have to create manually create a record in another table in another database capturing these data. Yep. Yeah, no, that's that's nice if we can get that in the box, not have to build it ourselves. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Cool. So are these are these just for SQL 22 on-prem or or in Azure? Where, where who gets these features? 
Mm. So I recommend go and check documentations because it's changing constantly. So go to SQL Server 22 uh, preview documentation and go to, um, for example, ledger section. And where in this section ledger, you can see the tag applies to. So it says applies to SQL 22 and Azure SQL database. Or, for example, intelligence query processing applies to SQL Server, Azure SQL database, and Azure SQL managed instances. However, when you go to TLS section, you can see TLS 1.3 support on SQL on Linux applies only for SQL Server 22 and Prem. So, and public preview for this bidirectional disaster recovery capability I mentioned earlier. Um, that will be uh, in the future day. It will occur in a future date. Okay. Um, so, I, a question that occurs to me is like uh, with Azure SQL, how do you, are these things just going to appear there or do you have to do something to make these features appear when using Azure or uh, do you know how that works? Um, with on-prem, you definitely have to install SQL 22 and you have yeah. access to this feature with a cloud. Um, it depends um, when, when, what's available and uh, yep. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah, any, any questions on SQL 22 preview? No, that's okay. All right. Um, I think that might might be might be it. Why is that? Is that what you wanted to cover? Yeah, that's definitely um, from my side. Yeah, yeah. that's from my side. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, any other questions about any of the content we covered tonight, or or to put Lana on the spot, any other content from Build that she didn't cover tonight uh, that you want to ask her about? No, that's okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Lana, for joining us. Um, we appreciate you giving up your evening uh, to be with us virtually. Um, no worries. The technology seemed to work pretty well. Um, so thank you for that. There, there's some quite interesting stuff coming out. Um, and yeah, you know, some of the things for me personally, not as interesting, but other things are really interesting. So I hopefully there's something there for everybody tonight that uh, you might take away that, that might be worth following up, uh, tr checking out a preview or a trial or uh, or taking it back to your colleagues to see whether it's something uh, is worth having a closer look at. So, but yeah, thank you, Lana, and uh, I, I wish you a good evening. I think our pizzas might be uh, here soon. The fact that I can see Mark has yeah. popped thank out of the building. Thank you so much. Thank you so yeah. much, David, for inviting me and thank you all for your attention. You've been such a great audience with the questions and it was a pleasure all right. to meet you all. Thank you. thank you. Enjoy your pizza and have a good night. Bye bye.